So let's go back and look at our passage again this morning. So this is from Mark 1, 1 through 3. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare, there's our word, your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now understand, at the very beginning here, when it says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not referring to this idea of Christ's coming begins right here. That would undo everything that I just said about 300 prophecies pointing to Jesus. Okay, So what Mark is saying is that this is my personal account as a witness, as an eyewitness of me seeing this Jesus come, and he shares this good news. It's the beginning of the gospel or the good news with us. So gospel, back in our Gospel 101 series, uh, we, we gave you this word, it was euangelion, euangelion. It, the prefix means good or joyful. The root word means message or news. So you've got good news, you've got joyful news. Think about Luke 2, I bring you good news of great joy. This is the gospel. You know, the, the gospel has come and it's really, really good news. Jesus, uh, Jesus, uh, the word is, it means salvation. It's the same word from the Old Testament when you see Joshua, like Joshua Hubbard. It's that same word, you know, in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word translated into the New uh, you know, Testament, Yeshua, you know, means um, it's just, that's Jesus, okay? And then you've got Christ or Christos. You know, Christ means um, the Messiah or he's the anointed one. So Mark is saying, this is my personal account of the gospel of Christ's coming, or the good news that Jesus, the Messiah, He came. So that's our beginning here. And he begins this story by quoting these Old Testament prophecies about John the Baptist and how he would prepare the way for Jesus, the Christos, to come. Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come, and He's going to come again. Okay, again, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, Behold, I will send my messenger, so who is this messenger? And he will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. So we start by going back and looking at a couple of these Old Testament passages. And the first one that we see is in Malachi 3.1, and it reads, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then this is the one that was quoted in Mark 1. Isaiah 43 says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Make a highway for our God. Emmanuel which translated means God with us, he is coming. Okay, Emmanuel has arrived and it's 30 years later and John the Baptist, you have a responsibility to now go prepare a highway so that people can see the good news himself coming. I remember years ago, I was in Washington, D.C., and I was on a field trip when I used to you know, be a part of the school, be the head of school. And we were sitting um, outside in some little cafe, and there was like 40 kids, and we were tired, and we'd been walking for a long time. And we were sitting out beside the street, 
and all of a sudden you heard it. If anybody's ever experienced this before, I'm just curious if you maybe just stick your hand up. But here came the policeman, the, you know, the, the, the motorcade. There was like these pol uh, police motorcycles. They were going round and round, and then these police cars were going round and round, and they were moving people out of the way. And we were like shocked, what is going on? You know, you didn't know what was happening. And that continued, it was louder, and people were spreading out, and they were spread out, and at some point, all of a sudden, here it came. Here came the motorcade. And you saw the black Suburbans, and you saw the black limousines, and then you saw the one that had the little flags. You're like, oh, it's the President of the United States. It was probably Clinton or Bush. I don't remember which one that it was at the time, but I was like, wow, they did a really good job of helping us to understand that something is getting ready to happen here. So what was the purpose of these policemen that were going round and round and that were blowing their horns and they had their sirens going and these police cars? Well, there's two things, I think. You know, number one, they wanted to get everyone's attention. I think they did a pretty good job of that. And the second thing that they wanted to do was communicate someone or something is coming. And you need to be aware of that. And that's what's happening here, but at a much higher level. John the Baptist is, is communicating, I need to get your attention, and I need to communicate in a way that you want to hear that someone greater than the president and greater than the, the, uh, a king, the king, the son of God, uh, Christos himself, the Messiah that you all have been waiting for, he is coming. Okay, so the word prepare here that's used in Isaiah and translated in Mark, the Hebrew word means to turn to, 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 to head in a particular direction. And then the Greek translation that we see in Mark 3 means to make ready for, to construct, or to prepare for, or prepare the way for. So John the Baptist is saying you need to, going back to this Hebrew definition, you need to change your direction, you know, wherever you're thinking, whatever you're, you, you, wherever you were going, you need to change your direction because you need to understand, you need to be prepared because Messiah is coming. And we see this all throughout the Scripture, just different ways that the Lord prepares His people. Abraham prepared a place for God's people. Noah prepares the people for His coming judgment. Moses prepares his people for the Exodus, and he prepares the Egyptians for judgment that they didn't, if they weren't going to let his people go. David prepares a way, you know, for the kingdom, for the true king to be able to come and the, and the greater uh, king and, and the better David to show up. Uh, Solomon, his son, prepares this temple that we see in Hebrews points completely to Christ, and the prophets prepare uh, for his judgments that are going to come, and they prepare the people for the fact that Messiah is coming. The prophet Emmanuel, he will come. And then next Sunday, 6 o'clock in the evening here, we will meet in the morning at 10 o'clock, so we may have confused you that with that. There is service in the morning. And then we're going to come back at 6 o'clock. It's going to be a shorter, um, a shorter service, but we're going to look at how the angels and how the shepherds were used to prepare for Christ's coming as well. But let's go back to John the Baptist. Okay, so when the fullness of time had come, now, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, or if you've got your phone, you can go to it. I want you to look at a, a lengthy passage with me. A couple of different ones. But the first one, I'm just going to read this one. You don't have to go there if you don't want to. But this first one is Luke 1, 13 through 17. So Zechariah, which is John the Baptist's dad, and Elizabeth, they were old. And while um, Zechariah was serving in the temple as priest... Zechariah is told by the archangel Gabriel. Gabriel leaves heaven. He comes to Zechariah and he says these words. He says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, 
for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You don't have to determine what you're going to name your child. Okay, It's going to be a boy, and his name's going to be John. Isn't that easier? Don't you wish it was like that all the time? And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Okay, so yes, Zechariah, I know that you and Elizabeth are old, but she's getting ready to have a baby, and he is going to be the one sent by God to prepare for Messiah's coming. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a big deal. Okay, fast forward a little bit. Look at verses 39 through 44. Luke 1, 39 through 44. In those days, Mary, who's the mother of Jesus, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So Mary's going into Elizabeth's home. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's overwhelmed just at the presence of God. For Verse number 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby, this is John the Baptist, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I love this. I love this. You know, here's John the Baptist whose sole purpose on this planet is to prepare the way for Messiah. And even in the womb, he can sense his presence in the, in the room and he leaps, whatever that feels like, you know, in the mother's womb. Okay, a more lengthy passage. Let's go to verse 57 and then we'll skip to 67. So when the fullness of time had come, it's time for John the Baptist to be born. Okay, verse 57 says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And we know his name's John. Okay, let's skip over to verse 67, and we'll stay here for a few minutes. 67 says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So here's Jesus' lineage through David as prophesied that the true king, the better David, is going to come. Okay, verse number 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Okay, and as we've been saying, the prophets have been prophesying that this is going to happen for all of these years. Verse number 72 to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant. His holy covenant. The oath that He swore to our father Abraham. Okay, did you see that? That's what we talked about last week. This is what Jeremiah brought to us last week, that God made a promise, He established a covenant, and He covenanted with Himself that this promise 
would be fulfilled to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Serving him without fear, without fear of judgment. Because Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation, is coming to save the people from their sins. And you won't have to fear judgment anymore. And you won't have to fear death anymore. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is speaking of Jesus saying, He who had no sin became sin for us, that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We're made holy and we're made righteous, and if that's true, then we don't have to fear judgment anymore. Verse number 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways. Okay, now listen to the ways that John the Baptist prepared for Jesus, beginning in verse 77. One, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Two, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Three, I'm adding the numbers. It's not in there. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So John the Baptist is sent to prepare for the Lord's coming, and here's your one, two, three. He is reminding the people that they are sinful, but that the way of salvation was coming. Okay? He's giving light to those who are sitting in darkness, which really means he's giving them hope. Life is futile. My sins overwhelm me. I cannot find satisfaction in this world. I cannot keep the law. COVID is about to put me six feet under. Is there any hope in the world? And John the Baptist in this moment is is giving light there, and he's giving hope. And he says, yes, there is. And you need to look to Jesus. And lastly, number three, to guide their feet into the way of peace. I love that. It's his job to to point them to Jesus, who is the only one that would enable them to actually have peace with God, and to point them to Jesus, who himself is peace, period. You know, so John the Baptist sums up his understanding of what he is called to do, a few, you know, well, a different place. In John 3.30, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible that I encourage you just to internalize into your heart and to remember on a daily basis because we are called to do the same thing. He says, He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Or as John 1, 6-8 puts it, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He came to point people to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Witness, bear witness, decrease, get out of the way, point people to Jesus that they might believe. So as we look back on the story of Christ's first coming, we really can't properly tell the story of Emmanuel coming without including John the Baptist in the story somewhere along the way. 
the Gospels tell us that other than Jesus, of course, John the Baptist is the greatest man to ever live on the earth. Okay? And his objective? Prepare the people for Christ's coming. Get their attention. Think of the policeman. Get their attention and then prepare them for the fact that Messiah is coming. Remind them that they're sinful and that they need a Savior and let them know that Messiah is coming. And as you do that, and as Christ begins to um, ascend before them, then you need to back away and you need to descend. They need to follow Christ and not be following you. Good word for pastors. Good word for teachers. Good word for us as a church. Don't look to Redstone Elizabeth and don't look to Jerry or Sam. Look into Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Daily we must become obedient and humble in our obedience and get out of the way and point people to Jesus. Church is not the answer. The gospel is and will always be the answer. And listen to this. Once John the Baptist had accomplished his work, his life as the greatest born of woman, it ended pretty abruptly and tragically. When the fullness of time had come, John the Baptist was born. And when the fullness of time had come, when his work on this earth was over with, he was taken away. Okay? Near the end, John was sent to prison because he spoke the truth in love, to Herod. And Herod didn't like it, so he puts him in prison. And while he's in prison, you can look at this if you want to in Matthew 11, 1, um, Matthew 11, 3 and 4. You see John the Baptist who spent all of his energy and his whole life pointing people to Jesus. And you see you know, the, his disciples, people that are following John the Baptist are like, well, Jesus is over there. People are following him, so what do we do? And he's like, go. I've got to decrease. You need to be following Jesus now. So he has baptized Jesus. He's pushed people to Jesus. He, is, he has seen Jesus reveal himself to the people. But now he's in prison. And while he's in prison, he sends word. And he says, is, is he the one? Is he the one to come? Or should we expect someone else to come? Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, it just brings such hope to me. Because I have these days where I'm like, do I really believe? Is the gospel true? Does God care? Is He aware of my situation? Do I really have hope in Him? And the fact that even John the Baptist in prison, having seen all that he had seen in Christ, had this one moment where there was a doubt that was there just shows his humanity. And of course, Jesus was the Messiah. There was none other to come. It's as if John was saying, I saw this working itself out differently in my head. I knew that Jesus was coming, the king is coming, and at some point in time, he's going to set up his kingdom. In some way, maybe different than the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, um, and the Sadducees thought, but still, and maybe I'm going to have a prominent part of that, but instead, I find myself in prison, and then shortly thereafter, I see it differently in my head, and shortly thereafter, his head was actually presented on a platter to Herod. When the fullness of time had come, it was over. His life was over. You know, gives new meaning to I must decrease and he must increase. The end. Thank you, John. You did exactly what I've called you to do. All under the sovereign hand of Almighty God, 
exactly according to his plan when the fullness of time had come. Ponder that for a moment as we think about God's sovereignty over all affairs of nations and men and situations. He is aware. He is with us. God remains with us. COVID has not taken him by surprise. And I said this three weeks ago, all the days ordained for you were written in his book before one of them came to be. There will be a day, just like John the Baptist, that you breathe your last. It may be that you expect that this is going to take place at the ripe old age of 93. And you'll have seven grandchildren and have lived a fruitful life. It may not be. John the Baptist's head was presented on a platter and his life was over. That wasn't what he thought was going to happen. We must have, church, we must have eternal perspective. We saw it if you're in CBR. Yesterday's reading, basically, the summary is that God alone is eternal. He's the one that lives forever. Our hope has to be in Him. And John the Baptist submitted to these things and was faithful to the end, even though the end came much sooner and in a way that he never expected. But from the Father's perspective, hear this, it was perfect. It was perfect. You did exactly what I called you to do, John the Baptist. You got their attention, you reminded them of their sinful condition, and you got out of the way. And you pointed them to Jesus all along the way. Again, eternal lenses needed here. So application, when I think about application, other than just sharing a little of the history of Advent and how John the Baptist you know, was a part of that, and he was used to bring Messiah's first coming, there's a deeper application point for us here today, Redstone Elizabethan. We are, in essence, John the Baptist to this world today. We are. Scripture says that we are his ambassadors as though he is making his appeal through us. It is our job to prepare, prepare, prepare the way of the Lord and to tell them what John the Baptist declared over and over and over, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The same Jesus who came as a baby and is the reason that we celebrate Christmas He will return as King of kings and Lord of lords riding on a white horse. And He will return for those who are His own. So when I think about that bookend that I shared at the beginning, when the fullness of time had come, God planted a little church on the west side of Elizabeth and that we refer to as Redstone Church Elizabeth. When the fullness of time had come, we became a part of that plan, that sovereign plan. And what is it that we as a church and as individuals are to do? Number one, remind the people that we really are sinful. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Christ has already come and He made the only possible way for their salvation. Number two, to give light to those who currently sit in darkness. People all around us are sitting in darkness and they're wondering and they're sad and they're looking for happiness and they're looking for peace. And the gospel and the gospel alone 
is the thing that will provide light for them. They're searching for the meaning of life. COVID has everyone scared. Everyone. There's days I'm fearful. And there's other days I feel like I'm just ready to just take on the world. It's just funny what this does with our emotions. You know, as pastor, I have those days as well. I have to pivot and go back to the gospel and know that he is in charge. Number three, we are to guide their feet into the way of peace, to point them to Jesus, the only one that can give them peace with the Father and the only one that can give them peace, period. And number four, we as a church and as individuals, we must decrease so that he can increase. We must. You know, I was so convicted this week, um, just thinking about even like my own life. This, this past month, I don't know why, and I don't know even why I get emotional sometimes, but I do, just thinking about this. But I have really gone out of my way over the past couple of years to establish relationships with people that are not like me. And I think I've done a good job with that. I think I've rubbed shoulders with people that do not look like me, act like me, or talk like me. Um, and I'm with those people as often as I can, And I've gotten so comfortable in that relationship that sometimes I forget that my objective is to love them well, yes, to enjoy their company, yes, but I have to be about the Father's business, which is to point them to Jesus. I have to be willing to speak the truth and love to people, not just be able to enjoy their company, for them to be able to say, you know, Jerry's a pastor, but he's pretty cool. I can hang out with him. I can even cuss in front of him, and he doesn't, like, you know, get mad. That's fine, but what's the purpose of that relationship other than showing the Father's love? It's to, it's to point them, to get their attention and to point them to Jesus. And I have found myself this week as I was preparing for this morning's teaching, just convicted. Oh God, I've gotten off course. I have forgotten and I had to go back to these individuals and begin to speak the name of Jesus to them and remind them of my concern for them. That's what he has called us to do. Our objective is the same as John the Baptist's, to prepare, to prepare, to prepare the way of the Lord while also knowing and loving and walking with Jesus on a daily basis to the degree that in our hearts we're crying out, but come, come, come Lord Jesus, come. You know, we need to be preparing people for the way of the Lord, but longing for His soon return. And in closing, just be encouraged with a couple of these reminders. Number one, the God who has trumpets blown, who sends the prophets and uses other means to get people's attention, He can and He will use you. He will use you if you're willing and faithful to speak the name of Jesus and declare the gospel, and just be willing to go. If you will decrease so that he can increase, he will use you. God, number two, will also prepare the hearts and the minds of the people that you're going to so that they can hear and maybe receive this good news. But he expects us to go and to be prepared as we go. John the Baptist had one mission in life. One mission in life. Point people to Jesus. Redstone Church Elizabethan has one mission in this community. One mission only. 
the way we go about it might have 17 different facets and roads, but they all point to pointing to Jesus. That's what he's called us to do. Let's end with how we started. I'll be the kids this morning. Prepare, prepare, prepare the way of the Lord. Now let's pray together. Father, I just pray that as we just take a moment to be silent before you, that you would just be near to us. Remind us of things that we need to be reminded of in the way that you did on a very personal level with me this past week. Lord, speak to us. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the life of John the Baptist. Short though it was, it was perfect in your sight. He did exactly that which you called him to do. Lord, it is so easy for us to get distracted in this world and to go running after shiny things and to try and to find fulfillment in things or people or gatherings, or events other than you, we are all guilty. Lord, remind us this morning that we have a job. And we are to prepare, to prepare, to prepare people for the way of the Lord, because you, Lord Jesus, will return. Remind us. And then help us to take that and put it in our hearts and may we change direction and pivot back to the gospel in the way that we live our lives this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.